Do you remember that time when we recorded a podcast at the Hotel Esplanade? Esplanade, sorry. Esplanade. Yeah. And it was so successful and we had such a great time sitting around a proper table with real beers that we decided to do it again. Yeah. Because that's exactly what we did today. Welcome back to another installment of Witch Car Weekly with all your fabulous favourite motoring authorities. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> My name is Daniel Gardner. I am a journalist of sorts and I'm joined by Scott Newman, Associate Editor of Motor Magazine and Andy Enright, uh, Deputy Editor of Wheels Magazine to do what we like doing best, talking about cars and general bollocks as well. Yeah. This week, like last week, <clears throat> excuse me, our dulcet tones are coming from one of the most iconic pubs in Australia, the SB in St Kilda, because they have their own podcast studio and it's a bit better than sitting in what is basically a portaloo with some microphones. And the restraining orders from last week have yet to arrive in the post. Yes. So, welcome, welcome. Uh, it is another instalment, as I say, of Witch Car. Um, we're going to get it kicked straight off because everyone has a beer. Well, no, they don't actually. Uh, Scotty has a Coca-Cola, which is disappointing, and is even more disappointed because he has two glasses of water. I am keeping the team uh, end of the bargain up with a mid-strength. On today's chat, the automatic choice, Tesla's smaller saviour, and the quest for a Japanese hero. What do I, I need a hero. Oh, do you know, I did actually look at doing some kind of pun or, you know, lyric based on that. But you're the musician of the group, Scott, so I'll leave that to you for another occasion. As you can tell from my amazing voice. It's a beautiful falsetto. <laughs> <laughs> if we do sound a little bit more engaging or interesting, it's nothing to do with the content. It's because we have a proper person recording our voices for once. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Luke. Um, right, straight into it. He says, after talking... Crap for two minutes. Uh, Tesla, Model 3. Tell us everything about it, uh, Scotty. You, you've actually driven the car already. We talked about that in a previous instalment. Uh, but this time, we want to talk about its success and how it's being received. It's everywhere. I know you haven't seen any on the road, but I've seen them bloody everywhere. It's because I lead um, a very sheltered life. It's selling really well globally, actually. Uh, in the UK, last month or last quarter, I'm afraid I can't remember which, but for a period of time, it was the th- Third best-selling car, I think, after like the Ford Fiesta and something else. Um, yeah, spot on. It was they're selling like mad. Um, that meant the US sales, I think, took a bit of a dip because I think they're shuffling production to where whichever market needs it. But judging by how many are rolling out the doors of its Richmond showroom here in Melbourne, uh, it's selling very, very well. Uh, we've got a couple of figures here, although this doesn't really help the. Model 3, because it doesn't have the uh, 2019 figures, but so Tesla sold 97 cars in 2015, 244 cars in 16, 396 in 17, and 1,320 in 2018. I suspect the arrival of the Model 3 this year will see them smash that. I've got some more numbers for you. More numbers! Yeah, oh, apparently wow. uh, the Tesla Model 3 shifted 2,414 units since August here which would put it into the top 10 if Tesla reported their sales to VFAX like everybody else. That's just locally. They're jolly naughty. Yes, yep. Um, And by that count, Tesla's going to deliver more Model 3s in September than it sold for either of the Model X or the Model S for the previous two years combined. That's berserk, isn't it? It is berserk. But as we mentioned, I'm I'm happy about it. Well-deserved. Good car. Absolutely. If, if if they are doing what once seemed like the impossible, and that mm. is getting Australians to think 
let not just think about buying electric cars, but actually put their money where, where their mouths are, which is always a weird image, I've thought, then great, good on them, absolutely well-deserved, yeah. And, and so the, the Model 3 is the one that is doing it. Why? Why is this car absolutely taken, um, taken things to a new level? Well, I'm going to throw that over to Scotty. Okay, he just threw it over to you. He yeah. just did that hand signal, which means I know, over I know, to you. I know, but but Scotty has driven this thing. So what I want to know is one that Model Three performance that you drove. Mm-hmm. How much is one of those, and how fast is it around a track such as Haunted Hills? Oh, such as Haunted Hills. Uh, well, lot to lot to unpack there. The one I drove, the Model 3 Performance, was about 100 grand. Obviously, it depends whether you put okay. options on it and stuff like that. But that's BMW M2 money, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, probably more, it's more like BMW M340i money, Audi S4 money, and that's the segment it's playing in. It's sort of a mid-size, premium, quasi-luxury performance model. Um, Tesla are a little bit naughty. Based on the specs they sent me, they don't include luxury car tax in this sort of MSRP. Um, they sent me and said it was $91,000, but in, in, in on-road costs there was... Oh, no, that's fine, because, you know, the government isn't going to charge LCT anymore because we don't make cars in Australia anymore. Oh, no, oh, that's wait. right. They decided to keep it. And maybe they should get rid of LCT on electric cars, but that's a topic for another day. Um, yes, so it's the range starts at 66, but presumably put LCT on that, so it's probably about 70, up to 100 grand plus for the Model 3 performance. Uh, I think it's selling well because it's worth it. Like, it's a... It's a electric car. Like if you look at say seventy grand for the Model Three versus fifty for a Leaf, mm. no competition. The Tesla is faster, more comfortable, much more premium. You know, looks better, has way, 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 way more range. And Byron much- Matthew Dacus didn't drive one. Either. <laughs> <laughs> has that in its favour, Byron? Um, but you go up to the performance, and the performance is a really impressive car. Um, you know, there are some still some quality issues, like the panels don't line up properly, and I watched Oh, it. really? They've still not cracked that yet? Yeah, like it's not awful, but, you know, I'd like no. my car to be the same on either side. Um, <laughs> not too much to ask, I think. <laughs> I know someone who took delivery of their Model 3 performance and it had a dent in the door. Um, Ooh. I washed the Model 3 performance a couple of times, and it got condensation in the tail lights, which is not ideal. Um, so there are a couple of niggling steel quality issues, uh, but the car itself is very impressive. Um, rides rides well. It's really easy to drive every day. And when you drive it quickly, it's actually quite an engaging car to drive. Um, kind of feels like a rocket-powered Golf GDI. Like, it's quite soft. It's not difficult necessarily to reach its limits. But when you hit the throttle, the electric motors do their... Uh, wizardry mm. in their torque vectoring and everything and you just shoot off really, really quickly. Um, we had it at Haunted Hills and an M3 there on the day as well and it made the M3 feel awfully slow to respond. Serious? Wow. Yeah, like wow. by the time you've, you know, by the time the M3's electronic brain has processed the throttle input, and the M3's really good, like don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, without but a doubt, you're, yeah. you know, you're a car length up the road and the Tesla just goes pew! This is amazing, isn't it? Do you remember when we were talking to Scotty about the Rivian, the um, the van that uh, that mm. Amazon is going to buy a hundred thousand of? That was the that was the vehicle, uh, quite surprisingly, the one that started changing your mind about electric vehicles. And now listen to you. I know. Listen I'm to a, the way you're speaking of this. I mean, I had an argument with Andy that electric performance is kind of doesn't interest me. But having driven that, I can I can see that. I think the whole make them as fast as possible is still a waste of time. But yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, the the ability to deliver precisely sort of the input you want is quite remarkable and it is quite fun. Like I was talking to, um, who was I talking to? We were today, Alex Inwood, who just drove the uh, Taycan. 
And I think that's almost the problem because he says that's quite tied down, it's quite grippy. Mm. So you aren't doing much. You're just sort of stopping going with almost with one pedal. But that's where the Model 3 is good because it does roll around, so you are involved in the process. Yes. So yeah. uh, it was quite enjoyable. Um, but to go back answer the original question, why is it selling so well? Because I think it's well-priced and you can't deny the amazing image Tesla has. Mm. No car I've driven... And since, I don't know, probably like a 488 has had so many questions about it than the Model 3, like for, especially from kids. Like it is clear for like the 18 and under, under demographic, any other car might, might as well not exist. Right. Yeah. Wow. That, that's, I mean, that's an amazing thing. That's, that's the, the audience and the customer you have to crack because, yep. you know, you can't keep selling cars to old people because they'll be dead soon yep. and that's not a very good customer generally speaking no and unless, you can't say anything funerals you can't say anything bad about them online either no. can you because uh, otherwise a, a, lynch, a lynch mob turns up and, and <laughs> flays your life that's yeah. very true yes they do have one of the most special um, audiences and uh, and workforce of course you know th- these things come from the top and good old Elon Musk is far from a conventional character in himself um, yes, but that brings us r- nicely on to talk, if we we're talking about the company um, as an entity, uh, not a week goes by when there's some kind of report that Tesla is in pretty bad financial shape. Is the Model 3, given how well it's received, <clears throat> the one that's going to save the company, if all of the reports about this dire financial situation are to be believed? Uh, if Tesla was a regular company, it would have gone to be out of business long ago. Like it's made a profit two quarters of its 10-year existence <laughs> and yet somehow it has a market capitalisation that far exceeds that of Ford mm, and that, of GM. That's because there's a truck that turns up at the back of Tesla every day full of cash. That's right. From, and uh, it just unloads this vast tsunami of coins into the, into the and company. And apparently that's what the investors are like. We're in it for the long haul. We don't care. Yeah, but there's, there's in it for the long haul and yes. then there's just being ridiculous. At but, what point do you say... We're flogging a very dead electric horse here. Yeah, and at what point do you say, oh, crap, you know, the legacy manufacturers like Audi and Mercedes, mm. uh, BMW, have, have really got their trousers on now and are coming after us and our sales well, will erode. Look, look at the Model 3 sales. Like, you know, there are other options now, like e-tron, EQC, admittedly, early in their life, but the Tesla effect is just it's killing them. Um, their second plant's going to come online in China soon. It's a weird one because I think they're paying China something like $400 million a year to actually run that, so they're going to need to make a lot of cars. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the problem. That no matter how – you can say they're selling well, but they're still losing, I think, money per car, mm. which is a really bad situation to yeah, be in. Yeah, the more, mon- the more um, cars you make, the What I think, but certainly the Model 3 will help because they'll start getting economies of scale, and if they can get the Model Y off the ground, which is basically the Model 3-based sort of baby SUV – that will really take off because, I mean, that's the car everyone wants. Everyone wants, like, you know, mini SUVs, medium-sized SUVs. That's the market segment. So if you can translate that Model 3 success into that, then... But that's all dependent on them sort of figuring out their production hell, which is still kind of in. And that's where, you mentioned before, Andy, you know, these legacy companies, the ones <clears throat> who've been building cars for a long time, you know, the, the, the big ones have been doing it for more than 100 years now. So they have worked all this out a long time ago in a very different financial climate. And Tesla has wandered in and tried to do what these guys, the other guys have been working at and refining for, 
for a century. They're very good at it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. But it's it just does highlight just how how close to impossible it is. Perhaps the Y will continue the the good sales and the growth of the of the three, but um, yeah, but they've got to make money on the cars. Yeah, and all the time they're trying to put rockets on Mars and you know land them back again on the sea. Rescue children with submarines. <laughs> oh, dear. I did read an interesting thing on um, Twitter, an interesting viewpoint that um, until the until the legacy manufacturers need to, they won't turn the taps on, which is basically 2021 EU regs really cracked down hard. Yeah. That's a dangerous game to play because you've got to, they're going to have to sell a lot of electric cars to meet the targets, 95 grams per kilometre of CO2. Currently, there's no manufacturer still anywhere near that, and it's, what, two years away. So they're going to have to roll out electric cars in big numbers and have them adopted in big numbers by consumers. And it's still the problem. The big problem is no one's asking for an electric car. Some people buy them because they think they're cool. Some people want, you know, want to make a statement. But I still don't think anyone's going to, re- especially in Australia, which is you know maybe in a moot point compared to Europe and America, but until they're the same price or yeah. cheaper than a petrol equivalent... Yeah, and that's really what it comes down to is you can make the best electric car in the world, but unless it's a, a, a price that people look at and compare with a, a normal combustion power car and go, yeah, that makes sense, no one's going to buy it. It, yes. could, it doesn't matter how good it is. It's going to be too tempting for politicians not to tax you into one, though. Yes. Mm, yeah, 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 ultimately. That's and you can push it, yeah. And you can look, look at nations like Norway and see how they've really, yep. they're leading the world, really, in, in adoption of electric vehicles. It will happen, it has to happen, it's inevitable. Um, but in the meantime... All the other big players, including the Japanese, will keep rolling out vehicles that use things dug from the ground to get around. And this is something else that you and I started talking a little bit about recently, Scotty. You noticed, you made a a bit of an astute um, little uh, recognition, that there aren't many Japanese hero performance models out there at the moment. The ones that are, are really feeling their age, aren't they? Yes. So, I mean, in one way we're in a sort of... Another bit of a golden era of Japanese performance because you've got all the main players are back. You've got a Supra, you've got a Civic Type R, you've got a GTR, you've got a WRX. But uh, three in particular, the 86, the WRX, and particularly the GTR, are looking a little bit long in the tooth. Uh, Why this is important is that Subaru and Toyota just recently announced that they're getting sort of closer in bed together. Um, Toyota has upped its stake in Subaru to 20%, and... As part of that uh, partnership, they will create a new 86M BRZ, which is great. But I'm thinking what uh, the discussion point for you guys is what should the sort of three models, what shape should they take going forward? So we've got a GTR, super high performance, WRX, and an 86 BRZ. So what what would you like to see their specification be going forward, given what we've just been talking about? A more heavily regulated environment, you know, emissions have got to go down, performance needs to say hopefully the same. What should they look like? Well, I would like, if this hopefully isn't too much of a predictable answer, I'd like the Japanese to weigh in with a pure electric high-performance model to compete with what seems to be the emerging trend. So obviously mm-hmm. Porsche, to an extent, has rewritten the rule book with its take on. Yep. Um, <clears throat> there's no doubt that the Japanese have the smarts to do something very good with electricity. And Toyota has the financial wherewithal. That's what I would really like to see. On So 
Volkswagen has got its ID3 out now, which is a, you know, potentially could be the new Beetle of the world and the Golf, um, but driven by electricity. Porsche is now, for now, dominating the performance end of the spectrum. Um, and th- as we were saying before, part of this momentum and the tipping point will come from choice. Um, choice and competition drives prices down. Um, the variety is attractive. I'd love to see the Japanese weighing in with something to compete with a Porsche Taycan. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, individually speaking, the um, the eighty six BRZ. I think that is, in essence, a retro vehicle. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's a throwback to to how we used to drive cars, and I don't think that particularly needs a whole lot of modernisation. That Agreed. form factor. Um, if you just put, say, the FA twenty four two point four Atmo engine in, that they get in the US, that's one hundred ninety kilowatts and three seventy six newton meters. That would be an easy continuation engine. Just keep mm-hmm. it rear-wheel drive, keep a manual gearbox, you know. Um, the other option is a good two-litre turbo installation for that car. You could lower emissions with, mm. a, with, with a turbo engine, plump up the mid-range torque a bit, um, and that would still be a good car and, so it, what, and not too far from the original. I've seen, What sort of prompted this in my head was I've driven a couple of these things recently. So the GTR I drove just after the Model 3. Um, Andy, I think you drove the... 50th anniversary yes. as well. Yeah. And I was driving that along going, you know what, this wouldn't necessarily change much if it was electric. You'd have still crazy all-wheel drive traction, crazy yeah. acceleration. No one really buys a GDR for the way it sounds. It's not a sort of inspiring noise that that engine makes. No, it's a janky sounding thing when you drop it into gear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I was thinking like, and that would obviously quite fit quite well with the GTR ethos of being a cutting-edge technological sort of masterpiece. So I sort of agree with you, Dan. Like that was probably a car that would suit electrification quite yeah, well. That, that's, mm. that's what I've noted down here. Still, yeah. still feels fairly modern. Next gen should be electric. But did yeah. you know the GTR 35, this edition of the GTR, has been on sale longer than the R32, R33, and R34 GTRs combined? No, it's been around forever. Wow. Yeah. yeah. 2007 it came out. Doesn't that make its performance even more astonishing? Just how yeah. it basically can embarrass. Every car twice its its price. Yeah, it's a lot of fun still that car, and that's yeah. it feels kind of old school now. It really does. So long. The interior certainly feels old yes. school. Yes, I mean, um, there's nothing you can do with that really. But also with the '86, like that's another way to look at it. Everyone's going electric, 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 and okay, you kind of do if you want to reduce emissions to nothing. But I've spent a couple of um, days recently in lightweight sports cars, so MX-5, '86, and it just feels like the future. It feels so much more relevant than making like a. 1900 kilogram, 500 kilowatt electric car. Like, yeah, for God's sake, don't throw batteries in an 86. Like you say, um, turbo. But I mean, can, surely Toyota can be smarter than that. Can we can we keep it at two liters and keep it at 150 kilowatts, but get 100 kilos out of it? I mean, you, you drive an MX-5 around. It's lightweight, doesn't use any tires, doesn't use any brakes, and you can rev the ring off it and mm. still do like eight liters of 100k. So it's like its emissions are low. What excites me? M- most is a sort of combination of the two things we've just been talking about. So on the one hand, you mentioned previously that electric cars now, like the Model 3, the Model S, they're they're all so blindingly fast. Mm. You definitely don't need them to go any quicker. It's it's unusable, it's excessive performance, that, that extra bit you have. 
So what the development really should be doing, if it isn't already behind closed doors, <clears throat> is just weight reduction. Yes. There's no point to... You can make exactly the same drivetrain, perform exactly the same, but it will just start getting lighter. Yes. What excites me is at some point you're going to have a powertrain that is so light, it will be able to honour the mantra of things like the MX-5 and the 86. But it will be electric and it, will be, it won't be a... a, a, a a compromise anymore. It will, yes. it will combine those two wonderful nirvanas of motoring, emissions-free and lightweight sports cars. And that is really what we're already on a path heading down towards. Yeah. It was funny, I was writing a thing the other week on the Mark 1 Honda Insight and, you know, that's a hybrid vehicle. And you look at the weight of those, they're mm. 850 kilos, you know. Hang on, you that's mean... That's crazy. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought you were going to so say it weighs about... Like the planet. Uh, uh, no, they so are really, really, very light. light. But um, a tougher nut to crack, WRX. I know. What do you do with this? What do you do with that? Um, I, mm. I, I thought along the lines that they need to benchmark something like the i30N's price and sort of dynamics. So that, that 40 grand bracket, you know, you start spending a lot of money on a, on a WRX um, or even on an STI and it becomes yeah. an exercise in diminishing returns because it's going to get beaten around a track by an yeah. i30N or a or a Civic Type R, you, as soon as you start pricing that car up to be the price of a Golf R, it's it's doomed. For you me, it needs it. a whole. For me, it needs a whole rethink that whole concept because, mm. like I, I mentioned in a, in a review I did, like I drove a '97 WX recently, and it felt pretty much the same as the, as the current one. Like, right. only, only it sounded better. Like, you know. Okay, the new one's a little bit more modern and stuff like that. And it's got obviously more equipment and it's a lot safer and stuff like that. But in terms of its driving experience, the two cars feel quite similar, which means that we haven't really moved on in 20 years. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's why I sort of threw it open. It's a really is tough there, one. Is, Subaru hasn't got any money, really. Like, it's just a very small <laughs> company. It can't spend $2 billion making a new sports saloon sedan. Is there something they can do along the lines of? Um, what Porsche did with the naming of the Taycan Turbo S. I love what they did there, and they copped a lot of criticism, actually, from, notably, we were talking about him before, Elon Musk, mm -hmm. who jumped on his favourite method of communication, Twitter, and said, and pointed out the fact that it doesn't have a turbo, so you can't call it that. I love what Porsche did, because they, a long time ago, transitioned from the word turbo being a device underneath the in the engine bay mm. to a brand. It's got a capital T. Yes. I love the idea of Subaru doing, doing something along those lines, saying, we can still be an authority in all-wheel drive, we can still call it a WRX, we can still use all these brands and the STI pink badge and all this stuff that people love about Subaru and the WRX, but move it into a modern era. I mm. think you could do that really successfully. I think they could still be an authority in all-wheel drive if only they had the budget, and that's the problem. To develop a car that would do that well... They've, just they've had a long time to do it, though. They've had a long yeah. time. To, you know, as soon as... Front-wheel drive hot hatches started developing like these Revo knuckles and things that meant mm. that they could put their power down. That was the end of rally replicas. Yeah. And, and how long ago was that? That's right. Yeah, it was what, late, late 2000, first decade of the 2000s, stuff yeah, like and it the hasn't really Magana moved on. 26 and the first, second Focus RS and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, it's a tricky one because I feel driving the current WX, it still handles pretty well. It's still fun to be had, but it's just lost all its character. Like, mm. you remember the old, like we were talking about that last week, we were talking about the rally ride you had with yeah. your partner, and that car goes, pop, 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 you know, it's got yeah. so much grunt to it, and the boxer burble is what you're so, yeah. you know, we so fell in love with, but it does, it sounds so 
boring now. Like it's just a weedy engine. That's why I think it needs to, even if it isn't the fastest thing on four wheels anymore, which it really isn't, put some life back into it. How do you do that though? That's why I think the tie-up with Toyota might be helpful. If Toyota need a four-wheel drive system to go in RAV4, CHR, whatever, maybe yeah. Subaru can develop that and then they get the scale they need yeah. to, hey, we can chuck this under. Even if it's a hybrid, maybe it's a hybrid four-wheel drive system, maybe it's front-wheel drive with uh, you know, electric motors on the rear or something like that. Yeah, um, and I think I think that absolutely works. They'll cop flack from aficionados and okay. traditionalists and purists saying, "Oh, that's not you know, that's not a proper WRX." But this is the way the world is going, and they have to. And I 100% agree with you. Um, which is unfortunate because I often like to argue with you, mm. uh, but this time we just have to agree that I really think the future is collaborations, and yes. we're seeing it all across the board. You know, yep. companies that were once arch enemies jumping into bed together and developing technology for the for the greater good. Because you know the Volvo XC60, that top spec R design thing. Because that's yep. what that's got. It's got a petrol engine, two litre turbo that powers the front wheels, electric motors on the rear. It handles incredibly well for a big car. That so thing is that thing is good fun. It's like it would you'd take a well driven Jog Golf GDI to beat this two ton SUV. So you know WRX maybe maybe you twin it with the new XV because everyone wants crossovers. Uh, make a sporty XV, call it the STI. It's got a funky powertrain. I don't know. It might be cool. Um, yeah. yeah. Do something. We are recording from the SB in St Kilda, and in honour of that, we're going to play a little game to finish with. It's not a drinking game, um, although that is, you know, that would be quite appropriate. We don't uh, condone the uh, very enjoyable tasks of drinking and driving together, but in no. isolation, they are both great. Uh, no, the game we're going to play very quickly to wind up is we were t- chatting uh, recently about uh, manual gearboxes and how obviously we're motor journalists and so we say that everything, even your, your pram, has to be manual. <laughs> but actually, the reality is we live in a world where autos are very good these days. Um, and we, we thought, what a great thing to talk about. Which, which cars are genuinely better as automatics? You would buy them with your own money with the automatic gearbox in them rather than a manual. Mm-hmm. Do we have anyone who would like to kick this off? Scotty, me. Okay, I am going to be really controversial. Ooh, we hope so. It's a bit of a stretch, but I would posit the current WRX. Controversial, not just because you're you going know, to have to leave the studio. It should have a manual, right. but I don't think the manual is particularly nice in the current WRX, and it exposes a bit of lag in the engine. Whereas the CVT, yes, I said it, CVT. That is just not only have you picked an auto. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's got eight ratios that work really well. They're nice. It doesn't together. have eight ratios. It's it got has, eight, I know, it has one. It effectively has eight ratios. Oh, it cons you. It tricks exactly. you. But it cons had, me very well. You got the wool pulled over your eyes I by have. CVT. And ignorance is bliss. <laughs> okay. And it seems to just bring the best out of the engine. So I'm going to start with that, which is a bit of a yeah, bit of a. Andy, please tell him he's wrong, and then tell us what is your suggestion. No, I have an even more unpopular view. Uh, you know, we're supposed to be petrol heads, you know, save the manuals. I say kill the manual. Um, oh, dear. I am not a fan of manual him. gearbox. Oh, God. Uh, for things like Elise's and Caterham's, yep, sure, have a manual, knock yourself out, have fun with that. But I think there Probably are only... knock yourself out getting into it. <laughs> I think there are only three mainstream cars that I would choose with a manual gearbox. Um, and that would be... Toyota 86 and, and obviously Citr- Subaru BRZ. Mm-hmm. Is that one or two? That's one. Okay. Mazda MX-5. Mm-hmm. 
the, the other one. Although the auto in an MX-5 is very, very good. Don't you've already you've already embarrassed yourself <laughs> enough. I'm warning you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you stop right there. And who can guess what my third one is? Oh. See, I, the obvious would be something like a Porsche GT3, but I first feel that you're going to say not a Porsche GT3. No, nope, um, I'd have a PDK one of those. Yeah, that's what I thought. No, tell us. Ford Mustang V8. Wrong. No, nope, I don't mm. like uh, autos that overheat, and I think the... <laughs> that's fair. I, I think the action on the Mustang V8 manual is PG. Yeah, it is really good, but the trouble is it's geared to go for intergalactic space travel. It's geared to 459 kilometres an hour. Great. Yeah. So we've only so far touched on the good points. Other yeah. than, other than <laughs> so that, that R spec is going to be pretty good at the That's top right. end. <laughs> it will. Dan. Um, okay. Uh, every Mercedes ever made. Yep, fair. Uh, have you ever driven a manual Mercedes? No, I haven't. They are the most diabolically bad things they to drive. Spectacularly poor. Yes, they have always been absolutely atrocious. And I... Commend Mercedes for taking a long time ago the path that they don't they don't make a manual anymore, yep. and I thought that was very noble because a lot of purists at the time, just like when Porsche went over to a water cooled engine for the nine eleven, said no, that's wrong. You we we're out, um, but they were right. I actually do think they were quite right, and we are heading directly towards a world where it's going to be very hard to buy a manual car anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also going to say the, and this this irks me because I think every car should be manual, every car including, you know, commercial vehicles, aeroplanes, everything should be manual. <laughs> H-pattern Boeing Can you imagine seven, how much fun would that be? <laughs> Stalling, not so much. But anyway, um, I've never owned an auto, nor will I. <laughs> oh, that's a big call. But the seven-speed manual gearbox in a 911 was one, was one of the most exciting things ahead of actually using it, mm. and then afterwards it was deeply disappointing. It's not spectacular, It's really it? not. It's really not. So that one you have to say, it is, and it, I hate that these words come out of my mouth, that the Porsche 911 is better than an auto. <laughs> God, I said unless, it. I said it. I was going to say unless it's a GD3, but I think the GD3 is better as a manual too. Uh, better as, an auto, as a PDK yeah, too. It's, it's, just it's, sort of it's way it. better. It, it gives you... Time and space when you're driving a car hard that, that a manual just doesn't. And, mm. you know, Ironically, we, we know how to operate manual gearboxes. It's, it's, I, don't, I don't buy that whole thing that it increases interaction with the car. It's, it's just a purely... Well, it does. I mean, it's, 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 it's just day. a purely mechanical process that every... You know, we can do that. We, next, you know, do we want to bring I, back starting see, ironically, handles? Ironically, it's like the enthusiast thing, but I think manual gearboxes at its best every day because... Uh, when, when I'm going flat out, I'm with you, Andy. Like you've got enough to, or sort of got enough to concentrate on, or got other things to concentrate on. Yeah. Whereas, like I'm driving an '86 around at the moment, um, and it's just fun. Just rum, rum, yeah. you know, yeah. hill toe every downshift. Just and it annoys me when people say, "Oh, you go to the auto because it's faster on a track." You're like, no one, no one cares no. about that. And you're right that that middle ground when you're not trying to hunt lap times, you're just trying to enjoy the car. You know, spirited driving, not necessarily watching a stopwatch. That's when they're best, absolutely. If you really genuinely want to set lap times, of course you'd go uh, an auto and then you won't fumble around with my terrible heel and toe as well and you'd go quicker. But realistically for the enthusiast, I do think you will always go. I'd rather stuff it up myself than have a computer do it right for me. (laughs) Gentlemen, um, we haven't found anywhere near enough things to disagree on. It's been far too amicable. And so next week when you listen again, hopefully we'll be um, at each other's throats as we typically are. 
In the meantime, do please uh, drive safely out there on the roads. You can find all of our fabulous coverage on whichcar.com.au. This is the part where you've probably already tuned out because you know I'm winding things up, so why don't you just do yourself a favour and tune out right now because I'm going to go as well. Thank you for listening. My name is Daniel Gardner. That was Scott Newman and Andy Enright. Thank you. Ham! (laughs) (laughs) Random word of the day. Excellent.